You listen to With Great Power for insights into the future of the grid. One technology critical to the grid transition, artificial intelligence. Transition AI is the premier event charting how artificial intelligence will shape utilities, renewables and storage developers, energy traders, and EV charging integrators. Transition AI New York is a one-day conference and workshop in Manhattan on October 19th. It features experts from Microsoft, GE Digital, AES, National Grid, Oracle, and a range of founders, executives, and academics building AI strategies right now. With Great Power listeners get 10% off. Go to transition-ai.com. Get your ticket for Transition AI New York on October 19th. Use the code PSPODS10 on checkout for your 10% discount. Renewables are having a moment. Wind and solar capacity in the U.S. went up 13 gigawatts last year, now totaling more than 238 gigawatts nationwide. And last year's Inflation Reduction Act is helping to move the needle in a big way. But there's a problem. For wind and solar to meet the demands of the energy transition, we need some way to store all those electrons for use during peak hours or when production is low. It's something Janice Lynn knew early on. At some point, um, we realized, you know what? To maintain grid reliability, uh, we were going to need the capability to balance and better match solar production to when it's needed and consumed. And that, um, you know, while we've always done that with pumped hydro, not everybody has a handy mountain nearby to um, store large quantities of electricity in the form of gravitational storage. The International Energy Association estimates that to meet current climate goals, the world needs 266 gigawatts of storage by 2030. And because of their cost and size, batteries can't be the only solution. When Janice and her colleagues researched what solutions could fill that gap, one fuel stood out above all else, hydrogen. Another application for hydrogen that has experts excited is the ability to use it for storing renewable energy that would otherwise be wasted. What's really made hydrogen come on the scene now is the simple fact that we have so much renewable power on the electric grid in places like California and Texas, which we didn't have 15 years ago. But with all this renewable power on the grid, we are now getting substantial curtailments of electricity, which is a market signal that we need storage. And so the reason hydrogen's really caught on right now is people are realizing it's really sort of an ideal way to store renewable power for long periods of time. It's one of the most abundant elements in the universe, and we already make tons of it for use in oil refining and fertilizer production. And initiatives in South America, Australia, and Europe were already getting the ball rolling on scaling up hydrogen production and infrastructure. Now, under the right circumstances, green hydrogen produced via electrolysis powered by renewables could be the long-term storage solution the energy transition needs. Once produced, the gas could be stored and moved around like we do now with natural gas. But when burned for power or in industrial settings, it'd be much cleaner than any fossil fuel. And that's when it hit me. It's like, wow, in my whole career, my pursuit of clean energy and this clean energy transition, this little itty bitty molecule, which is so abundant, uh, this is the, the solution we've always been waiting for. And it's within our grasp. Like, this is the solution to meaningfully ending our dependence on fossil fuels.
This is With Great Power, a show about the people building the future grid today. I'm Brad Langley. Some people say utilities are slow to change, that they don't innovate fast enough. And while it might not always seem like the most cutting-edge industry, there are lots of really smart people working really hard to make the grid cleaner, more reliable, and customer-centric. This week, I'm speaking with Janice Lynn, founder and president of the Green Hydrogen Coalition and founder and CEO of Stratagen. Did you know we spend a third of our lives at work? If you've been thinking, ah, I should be fighting climate change with all that time, I have great news. The new season of Degrees, Real Talk About Planet-Saving Careers, is all about how to green your job. Come join us and follow and listen to Degrees on your favorite podcast listening app today. After shepherding other organizations towards their decarbonization goals through her consulting work at Stratagen, Janice has now set her sights on tackling the problem of long-term storage through green hydrogen. Now her coalition is trying to help different sectors of the economy figure out how to build out and deploy green hydrogen on a larger scale and to raise awareness along the way. Change is happening fast in clean and green hydrogen, but there's very little awareness and understanding among the general public. And this is something that we all need to focus on more. And we don't have the answers to everything. And so where there are no answers, we need to get on the same page and study it together. After spending 20 years working in tech and energy, she understands what it takes to implement change at all levels of the industry. But before we dug in, I asked her for a primer on what makes green hydrogen the go-to fuel for the storage of renewable energy. Um, There's so many ways to make it. And this little molecule, just like other molecules, liquid or gaseous, can be stored. It can be stored indefinitely. And um, we already store hydrogen. Now it's mostly gray hydrogen today in very large quantities in underground salt domes. So this is commercially done today. There are several in commercial operation in the U.S. already. And so I like to think of this mass scale storage of hydrogen is, you know, we've always had strategic petroleum reserves. Well, now we can have strategic renewable energy reserves. The other neat thing about this little molecule is um, you can move it around in pipelines, much in the same way that we move natural gas in pipelines. In fact, um, one of the things that surprised me on my journey early on was the discovery that the United States already has more than 1,600 miles of hydrogen pipeline in commercial operation today. Most of it's in the Gulf, but, um, you know, there's on the order of about 20 miles of hydrogen pipeline in downtown Los Angeles. Well, not really downtown, near, you know, connecting the oil refineries near the ports. Um, We have the ability to store this hydrogen in a small distributed fashion, too, in gaseous form and liquid form. Anytime you've driven by an oil refinery and you see a big white ball with legs, it's storing hydrogen. So this is nothing new. And uh, what is new is the ability to make the hydrogen out of a renewable feedstock and leverage much of this existing infrastructure. Of course, we need to build lots more. But then to use that that amazing little molecule, and my starting point was the power sector, to really get to 100% renewables, because we will need that clean, firm, dispatchable power. And this, the, the amazing thing about this um, molecule is it can displace liquid fossil fuels. 
In fact, uh, if what you need is a liquid fossil fuel, a liquid fuel, I'll call it an alternative fuel, um, hydrogen can be converted and made into uh, pretty much any type of liquid fossil fuel we use today. So your first hub effort for green hydrogen was in Los Angeles. When was that and what were some of your findings? So we started the Green Hydrogen Coalition in the fall of 2019 with a thesis. And our thesis was that the way to make progress happen for this amazing little molecule was to go big and go fast. It was through scale. What we've learned from the wind industry, from the solar industry, is that when you can scale, you can produce at much lower cost. You can start to be able to build much larger production systems and importantly, have visibility into the needed infrastructure for storing it and moving it around. So we had this idea with the GHC that we would start, we would accelerate progress by focusing on scale by, and, and how you do that was to aggregate demand in targeted locations and aggregate demand across sectors because any one sector is probably not big enough to get to the scale that you need. And, uh, and you have to do that in targeted locations because then you have the concentration of demand needed to start forecasting and building much larger production um, facilities and very importantly, the needed transport and storage infrastructure to connect supply with demand. And um, when we and so this was the whole thesis of the GHC when we started out. Um, why did we choose LA? And and we start and we literally started working on Los Angeles right away after considering a bunch of other locations. And um, the reason was uh, one, Los Angeles has one of the largest ports in North America. And maritime shipping, port operations, this is uh, a really large source of air pollution, um, very concentrated diesel use. And everyone knows that LA struggles with air quality issues as a result. And there's like many, many tens of thousands of diesel trucks. So from an impact standpoint, LA met all the criteria. Um, Secondly, um, you know, Los Angeles uh, has a number of really exciting uh, potential off-takers, some of which were already in action, you know, as of the fall of 2019. Uh, Los Angeles County has more hydrogen fueling stations than any other county in California. And California as a state has more fueling stations than any other state in the country. Um, there were a number of uh, demonstrations and projects already underway. And when we started to interview off-takers, we realized that there was an abundance of multi-sectoral off-takers and uses of hydrogen and importantly, interested buyers, right? Because all of this is theoretical until you need one or two anchor buyers to really get things going. And then finally, um, Los Angeles, in particular, is an extremely progressive city. Um, California is a progressive state in terms of um, having established policies to achieve 
a clean energy transition. Uh, LA in particular has a goal to achieve 100% renewable electricity by 2035. So those were all the reasons why we started in LA and Southern California. And so what were some of your findings from that effort in Los Angeles? Well, um, we started studying this three, three and a half years ago, and I'm so happy to report that, so I'll give you the punchline, and then I'll tell you what we did, and I'll tell you where you can find more information, because we've published all of this, and it's in the public domain. But the first punchline is that uh, uh, we can deliver mass-scale green hydrogen into LA, into the port, for under a dollar a kilogram. Now, that's super exciting because when you think about a kilogram of hydrogen, it has the equivalent energy content of about a gallon of diesel or gasoline. And if we can get to under a kilogram, that means there's a very attractive value proposition. And our goal, remember, our goal was always solve for the fuel supply. If you can get the alternative fuel supply to be attractive economically, then natural economic forces will just take care of itself. Now, this forecast is in the future once we are at scale. And that gets me to my next conclusion. (laughs) To get there, you need to have scale. Uh, You need to have a 100% hydrogen pipeline. Um, And it needs to be connected to geologic storage. Why is that important? And by the way, we did look at alternatives. We said, well, can we just make the hydrogen in Los Angeles? The answer is no. There's not enough space for the scale of production that's needed. Um, We looked at, can you move the, uh, uh, can you just move electrons and, you know, make the production facilities be far outside Los Angeles and move electrons through the transmission system and electrolytically produce the hydrogen locally? Unfortunately, the transmission system doesn't have enough capacity for the scale we're talking about, and it was far more expensive. Um, The conclusion was the lowest cost solution was to move the molecules in a 100% hydrogen pipeline. You could get started with some blending in the natural gas pipeline, but the scale and scope, I think that's the thing that um, was pretty awesome is, well, there's a lot of fossil fuel use when you start to look across sectors, not just the power sector, but transport, heavy-duty trucking, terminal operations, the airport, aviation, um, <laughs> we, we need a pipeline to bring it in. And uh, the other uh, really exciting conclusions, because as part of our three-year journey, we also looked at what some of the other ancillary benefits would be. And the air quality benefits of displacing diesel, especially in a lot of these heavy-duty transport and terminal operations uses, were profound. We have maps in our in our report that show it in a, you know, four-kilometer by four-kilometer layout on a map. And you see literally whole neighborhoods going from heavily polluted to measurably cleaner skies. Not surprisingly, this improvement follows major highway routes. And and the really good news is many of these air quality improvements are happening in neighborhoods that are most, that most need these improvements, right? These are communities that have long suffered 
from the effects of diesel and other fossil fuel combustion. And we did a job study, too. And this was in partnership with the University of California, Irvine. And uh, because the vision that we created spans on the production side, multiple sectors, we looked at lowest cost electrolytic production. That involves water. So it's going to involve some water infrastructure. It involves pipelines, downstream fueling station infrastructure. Um, when you take that all together, what we found was that many of the jobs, um, because this region employs a lot of people in the oil and gas sector, many of those jobs, many of the jobs that are needed to create this new infrastructure necessarily must come from the oil and gas sector. And in fact, we would create more jobs than that sector currently employs, which is really good news from an economic development standpoint for the region. Now, I say that all of these findings, these, this is what's possible in the future. What we didn't focus on so much is how you get there. And I say there's a million ways to get to that vision. And the fastest pathway of progress is by working um, very co in a co-creative way with the communities that are most affected. So um, we also had a number of recommendations on how to do that. And, um, and that collaboration is urgently needed. What is the state of the technology behind green hydrogen now? You talked about the Los Angeles project. You also talked about the importance of scale. So talk to me a little bit about where we are from a technology standpoint as it relates to green hydrogen. Here's the beauty of this and what I love about green hydrogen. And remember, our whole thing is urgency, right? We have to go faster. Um, everything that we've envisioned in our vision for Los Angeles, including, and we've done a, um, a scaled hub analysis for the Southeast, for North and South Carolina as well. Same results, uh, you know, directionally. And, and what I love about it is every piece of the ecosystem that's needed to achieve that vision already commercially exists today. Now, it may not be made in a factory that's operating, you know, 24-7, so it's got some scaling. We have some supply chain issues. Um, we have some big infrastructure to build, um, but we have the toolkit. And really what, um, what stands in our way of faster progress is creating alignment in that ecosystem so we can start um, bringing, and, and by the way, the capital exists too. There are a lot of infrastructure investors that are ready to go but it's the alignment of the whole ecosystem, not just in any one project that makes the whole thing work. Talk me through some specific use cases of green hydrogen in our effort to decarbonize. Sure. <clears throat> so I support electrification and, um, you know, converting as many um, uses as we can to clean electricity where it makes sense. And an example and a use case of one that would be hard, really hard, to electrify, um, say, um, you know, directly electrify with a battery, um, is maritime shipping and aviation, right? Um, in fact, I would say aviation is one of those applications where 
I think for a long time, folks just assume that would, that's one that we'll never be able to decarbonize. Happy to report that um, with green hydrogen, we can decarbonize even aviation. So um, the challenge with aviation is you need lightweight, you need long distances. I'm, I'm talking like long haul, San Francisco to Sydney. <clears throat> Fuels are very dense and, um, you know, the energy density to weight ratio and volume, it, it all pencils out. That's why fuels are used on planes. Um, and where hydrogen really shines, fuel cell electrics, is for um, heavy-duty trucking where there's a, a high utilization of the truck. There's not a lot of time to recharge the battery. And payload matters. And one of the great things about hydrogen is extremely lightweight. Um, uh, sometimes uh, I hear debates between fuel cell electric and battery electric, and and, and those sorts of debates um, make me a little sad because actually the debate that needs to be happening, it should be battery electric and fuel cell electric versus diesel and gasoline. So now I'm going to ask you to get your crystal ball out. When do you think green hydrogen will be a commonly deployed decarbonization solution? Well, <clears throat> thanks to our federal government, the Biden administration, um, and the hydrogen Earthshot, uh, and the uh, $7 billion RFP that's on the street for clean and green hydrogen hubs around the country, I think progress is moving much more quickly, um, uh, which we are absolutely thrilled about. Um, uh, the recent passage of the IRA and the tax credits has made the United States one of the hottest markets for clean and green hydrogen production globally. And, you know, all it takes is one leader. And now look what's happening. Other countries are concerned um, that they're, uh, you know, not keeping up. So they're starting to put into place similar legislation and, and, and mechanisms and tax, tax incentives. So, um, if I were to say my crystal ball, I think we are going to see some very meaningful scaled projects start to go on, start construction and go online at the end of this year, uh, more and more in time next year. Uh, we're going to start seeing the first international exports, imports of clean and green hydrogen. Um, you know, sadly, the war on Ukraine has put a very big spotlight on the need for fuel diversity and uh, and the need for um, new sources. <laughs> so that is accelerating, um, you know, this drive for export uh, or import from Europe, from other places. Um, so earlier I said, you know, I've been through this journey a few times, first in solar and then with batteries and now... I, I actually think that progress with green hydrogen is going to happen much, much faster. And we are going to see material project progress, like really material progress in single-digit years, starting with very large-scale projects where you're either exporting or um, consuming the hydrogen in a co-located fashion. And again, in well, if we have it our way, in single-digit years, um, provided we can move quickly with the development of the infrastructure, the transport and storage infrastructure, um, really, um, you know, more of a connected hub concept 
again and single, you know, I, I would like to say before honor before 2030. That's amazing. That's uh, exceeding my expectations. That's great. Um, all right, last question for you. We call this show With Great Power, which is a nod to the power industry, but it's also a famous quote from Spider-Man, with great power comes great responsibility. What is the superpower you bring to the clean energy transition? I love this question because that's a question I always ask new people on my team. And what I always tell them as an example is that my superpower is to handle tough conversations and um, to bring people together with empathy and also in a way that lifts them up, right? Because sometimes um, empathy is not enough. It's it's good to have a, a, an audience to hear you and make sure you feel seen, but also a, a problem solver, um, I always tell people that um, what's important to me in every convening that we do is one, we can't be shy to handle the tough problems, the issues. That's why we're getting together. But two, I want everyone to really be focused on solutions and aiming um, for a feeling that I want people to feel encouraged and inspired that they themselves can make change happen. That's my goal in life. Love that. Thank you so much, Janice, for your time today and for talking with us about green hydrogen. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Brad, and thanks for this awesome podcast. Janice Lynn is the founder and president of the Green Hydrogen Coalition and founder and CEO of Strategen. With Great Power is produced by GridX in partnership with PostScript Media. Delivering on our clean energy future is complex. GridX exists to simplify the journey. GridX is the enterprise rate platform that modern utilities rely on to usher in our clean energy future. We design and implement emerging rate structures, and we increase consumer investment in clean energy, all while managing the complex billing needs of a distributed grid. Our production team includes Aaron Hardick, Stephen Lacey, Dalvin Abouaji, and Camille Stennis from PostScript Media. The original theme song and mixing came from Sean Marquand. The GridX production team includes Jenny Barber and me, Brad Langley. If this show is providing value for you, and we really hope it is, we'd love it if you help us spread the word. You can rate or review us at Apple and Spotify, or you can share a link with a friend, colleague, or the energy nerd in your life. Thanks for listening. I'm Brad Langley.